Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. This is a Locker Room Production. Hey everybody, this is Brandon Lee Yum from Bleeding Green Nation, recording a little preamble for you here before you listen to our Locker room live stream replay this is a conversation that took place on tuesday night april 13th if you missed it live um then you and if you want to join next time you can download the locker room app only available on ios right now sorry uh other non-ios users you can actually go on that app and there's a place where you can search my name brandon gowton and give me a follow on that app that way when I go live in the future, you can get notifications for when the room is open, and then you can join the conversation with us, like you hear uh, various BGN radio listeners talking to us in this episode. Uh, we touch on the athletic stories about the dysfunctional Eagles right now, and many other things in a very long, very free-flowing, fun, good conversation. Uh, so I think it's a good show today. Uh, obviously a long episode, so... If you really make it through it all, then you're a trooper, and I appreciate you. And if not, I still appreciate you for listening anyway to, to anything that you do. Uh, before we hop into the show, just want to mention that BGN Radio obviously brought to you by Right to Sell and Craft Jerky. Go to RightToSellin.com. Use discount code BGN15 for 15% off at checkout. Some great snacks. Also, looking for some treats for your dog? Well, you can get uh, dog treat jerky by going to wildnaturepet.com and using the same discount code BGN15 for 15% off. And uh, this is something new we're doing. And it's I think you should check it out because this is environmentally responsible and supercharged with healthy ingredients to give your companion the stamina they need to run the mountain, lap the yard, or doggy paddle the lake. So go check that out again at wildnaturepet.com if you want to get something for your pet and use discount code BGN15. Okay, with all that out of the way, here is the this week's Locker Room live stream replay. Uh, kind of has an abrupt start because we had some audio issues, which is why I'm re-recording this uh, intro after the fact to set up the conversation. Let's get into it. Shane, what's your take on the Eagles, all this, the athletic reporting, the dysfunction, What's your reaction? I mean, it was so well done by Shield, Bo, and Zeberm, but did it necessarily tell us anything we didn't already know? Maybe just the Alec Halaby stuff is the one thing that comes to light, and he can. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know him personally. I can't speak to him, uh, you know, in that way. But it seems like the the new villain in the room, other than you know the way the fan base has kind of uh, made Howie that person. Jeffrey Laurie increasingly seemed like a guy who's meddling too much in football affairs when he shouldn't be. And it looks like that'll continue for generations with what we saw about uh, Julian Laurie in there. Um, but he seems like to be the new guy who had a screaming match with Doug. And, you know, one of the impetus is for running Doug out of town. It was this guy, this analytics guy. 
This isn't um, some anti-analytical take or anything, obviously. I'm yeah. you know, a progressive sports fan. That's a big problem with it for me, the article. Not that The Athletic was trying to be anti-analytic, but just no, like – I, and I don't think most people had that takeaway, but I think there might have been some like, oh, analytics are bad. Well, no, that wasn't the issue. No. It's that analytics aren't being like properly communicated with – I mean, so the issue is communication. It's not the analytics. The the, the yeah. biggest problem is that the analytics the information isn't being communicated properly in this organization as one of the stories within the athletic article kind of highlighted like – Alec Halaby basically like made a list and it was just like given to what, like the scouting department or whatever. And kind of without like context, it was like, here's a list of players. It's gospel. And they were Take unranked. It. it seemed. Um, I thought it was a ranking, but it was just like, either way, it was just like, here's this information with no kind of like explanation or context behind it. Take it. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> well like, what do I do with this? What is this? Is this undermining me? Like, is this even, you know, like, what is this? So I, I think one of the biggest issues that Shield touched on, we had Shield Kapadia on the, the Oddcast, on the Expectation NFL show, which is also listening to. today, but I will tomorrow. Uh, it's a great interview with, with Shield. And I think, like, the biggest thing, and I put this on BleedingGreenNation.com as well, transcribe some of it if you want to go look at that right now. You uh, should. Is, you should, is... Like, I, and I've talked to you about this, Shane. Like, Howie Roseman still deserves blame here. Like, yeah, I know that's not like that shouldn't be a hot take. A controversial of the day. Yeah, but I, but I think I, I say that not because like I only want to put it on Howie, but like I just I think a lot of this offseason has been about like, well, Lurie is a big issue, and he is. But I think Howie being a yes man is a, an issue that he can control. And now I get it, like. If you're in a position where you can kind of try to placate your boss and it feels like you're going to, it's going to help you keep your job, then wouldn't like almost any of us do that? Uh, sure. But I think in the past, like Shield kind of talked about, you've had an Andy Reid in the organization who wasn't just going to like do whatever Jeffrey Lurie told him because he had clout and he had the respect to do that. Like he, he had, you know, cachet to push back and not just do everything the owner wanted to do. And now the Eagles have a structure where the owner, feels, I think, empowered in part because of analytics, which could be a problem if he thinks he knows more than the people that he's hired and should be trusting them to do their jobs. But I think the other thing is that there, I think there's some, it seems silly because like, why is he still here if this is the case? But I feel like Lurie's involvement in meddling speaks to like not fully trusting Howie, right? Is it a situation where, uh, you know, they used to have Andy, like you said, and he had the clout. Were they... Will Jeffrey Lurie even necessarily want someone with clout in here? That sounds stupid. Like if there was, a, yeah. you know, a prime executive available and they moved on from Howie in a couple of years, they would want, you know, the best executive uh, available to run the team, especially if he, even if he had name cachet. I don't mean it like that, but uh, when you look at the lower levels, the way they hired Doug kind of as a yes man person to tell what they do. And as well as, you know, Sirianni seems like a redux of that as well. A guy who, doesn't have coaching ex- head coaching experience seems a little like green and you know just excited to be here type vibe didn't uh, have that, offers even like yeah and that allows for... them to keep the power structure there so i think that moving on from andy it was actually obviously Lori wanted to move on from andy but it's a thing there where i think he wanted power then because the the end of the era didn't go so well 
he wanted to assume that power going forward. And then, you know, there was highs and lows with Chip there. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with the, the powered head coach again, the powered front office person. Cause Reed was, you know, running the front office. He wasn't a general manager in title, but had that control while he was here. So he, I don't think he wanted to deal with that anymore. I don't think it's a situation now where Howie has really any autonomy um, less than we think. I mean, he certainly deserves a ton of blame, but I don't think he's the person to fix this as much as this is a Jeffrey Lurie wider issue. It starts from the top down. If we had a you know less involved owner, maybe the situation there where Howie could potentially be more up for changing things up. I don't know. I think the Chip Kelly point is important. I think the phrasing that was, you know, said at the time and said many times since was Lurie wanted to take the team back. And I think he didn't like being excluded, you know, as much as he was to the extent with Chip. But I don't think, I think that's an overcorrection. It doesn't have to be like you're actually running the show or you're not involved at all. I think a healthy dynamic, I think an owner should be involved. I don't think an owner should be totally hands off and like checked out. I think those are bad owners. Like that's like what Joshua Harris has been at times for the Sixers. Now the pre Dale Murray hiring, especially Larry should be involved. He should have a say for sure. But like there should be, and obviously he owns the team. So he's going to have the final say theoretically, but I think he kind of needs to be humbled and has to reflect and kind of say like, look, you know, I hire a GM for a reason. Like, I don't hire a GM, so then I can be the GM. Like, what's the point of that? I mean, other than to be his punching bag, apparently, and take all the heat for him. That's the situation here. I want to read some things from the chat here, catching up. Rich Bobby writes about, uh, I once heard that you can't date analytics. You have to be married to analytics. Maybe the Eagles have taken that too far. Jeffrey was truly upset after wins if the team didn't throw enough. That seems like getting lost in the weeds a little bit. I mean, yeah. And And I think something that Shield talked about on the podcast was like, it's okay to express that, but like not in a way where the coach is feeling like second guessed and there are communication issues. And it's really up to Howie to kind of like, you know, be that intermediary and kind of, um, you know, smooth things over and kind of make sure the communication is good and everything's on the same page and it's healthy as opposed to like, you know, it's kind of like Doug feeling he has to fight for his job. Uh, Ryan Ebo checking in in the chat says, I know hot tails were last session. I feel like that's a typo somewhere there. Uh, uh, maybe hot takes for last season. But this team winning the Super Bowl in – oh, yeah, I know hot takes for last season. But this team winning the Super Bowl in 2017 gave Roseman and Lurie too much hubris. I 100% agree. Like Absolutely. No doubt. I, I, the great quote in the article – from the athletic about how it's like the boomerang effect in terms of someone like losing weight, like where, you know, some, close to home. <laughs> you lo- yeah, it's happened. I, it's happened to me. Like you lose a bunch of weight, but then you put it back on. Uh, and, and I think that's exactly what's happened with Howie in terms of like, I, I, I legitimately believe in my heart of hearts, like he was humbled by the whole chip thing. And he came back Certainly. with like a renewed focus and, and, you know, and he did good in 2016, 2017. He did great. But then they win the Super Bowl. I know for a fact after the Super Bowl, he was very like, uh, yeah, full of, like, I mean, and he deserves to take a whiff. He won the Super Bowl. But at the same time, I know that mindset of like, see, I proved you guys all wrong. Like, it, it took it too far ultimately. That's and for it, a it, fan to do. That's for me to do. 
on Twitter to say like, oh, all the Howie haters, you're wrong. Like, shut the off. That's not for him to do, like, and carry that hubris through the 2019 season because it seemed even after that fool's gold type I, – I loved it. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that 2019 season. The last month of the year was so much fun. I had great experiences as a fan in that playoff run, but a little fool's gold like, right? Yeah. And he still considered that. You know, we made the playoffs last three years. We've won X amount of games over the last three years. We've, you know, won the division title twice in the last three years. We've, you know, won the Super Bowl in the last three years. Like, they, they didn't treat that as a warning sign of, you know, the bottom coming out. Absolutely. And that's a big uh, point of frustration for me and has been for a long time. Just like they keep talking about, or even I, some of the responses I've seen to the athletic article, like, oh, this team isn't dysfunctional. They've gone to the playoffs three years in a row before the season uh, and, and they won the Super Bowl. But it's like, it's not like that result was extremely deserved. Uh, the, it, Shield said on the podcast today, I believe, like internally, they did not even expect to be competing for a Super Bowl realistically in 2017. Like they, they caught lightning in the bottle. And to their credit, it counts. And we're not discounting that. But you can't look at that and be like, well, they know what they're doing. Like you, you can't just give them blind trust. Um, but I want to get Cliff involved in here. He requested to speak first. We get Julian up next. Uh, Cliff, what's going on, man? Real quick. Did you drop out? No, Did I'm you... here. Do you hear me? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. you. When I read that article, the first thing that popped into my mind was the Josh McDaniels report. How he wanted more power. Mm. And um, Lurie was not okay with it, but Howie was okay with it. Yeah. What does that say about Howie? I mean, assuming that's true, I guess what you're getting at is like Howie – is cool with not being a yes man. I don't know. What's, what, what do you I, see? I, I don't know. Cause I was like, when I read that report, it seemed more of the Lurie problem. How mm. just seems like the person does all the things he wants. I think I read another report somewhere else where like how he keeps his job because he's just Lurie's yes man. Yeah. He's like Lurie's action. So it would right. make sense if Josh McDaniel was like, Oh, I want to have some saying like scouting. I want to have some saying like the 53 man roster. I want to have some saying all this stuff. Now, Larry's like, I just had this issue of Chip Kelly. I'm not going to have it again. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's that's a hard example, too, just because, like, Josh McDaniels doesn't deserve <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. Oh, no, he given, doesn't. Not at all. Given, you know, what happened with him in the past. like it's So it's also not, like, a perfect example of someone, like, who could come in and deserves that clout and should get that clout. Like, it's not earned, in my opinion. No, not at all. But the fact that Larry's the one that had issues with it and how he's like, I don't mind. That's maybe off a little bit. Maybe I know I saw that report too. I don't. I don't yeah. know. You know, I can't speak to that report being true or not. I'm not going to say it's not. I just. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. It is interesting. That is an interesting point. Yeah, um, like, I don't. I have no. I have no proof that it is true or not. But like you know, when like you just see enough things happening, just like you know what, this does kind of add up. There's definitely some issues over there. Mm-hmm. But I still think like again, him being a yes man, it's just a problem, and it's easy true. for me to say. But mm-hmm. like, I, I just think. It kind of sucks, though, for him. You know what I mean? At, at a point, like, I, I feel like he's incentivized at some kind of point. Like, if he continues to catch the heat for decisions that are being made by Lurie and making him look bad, there has to be a point where Howie is like, no, look, like, we have to start doing things differently. Like, it's time to, like, try a different thing here because I'm taking all the heat. I mean, he doesn't have to say this necessarily, but, like, the reality is he's taking all the heat and, like, he doesn't want it like that. Like, like let me run the show. Or fire me because you're going to fire me anyway if you continue to do bad. But except 
it's going to be because I'm getting blamed for your decision. I just feel like he has to have enough self-respect at some point to like take a stand here. The checks are still cashing, though. True. You know what I mean? I'm sure he's very well compensated for this role. He's the, the Eagles are definitely, you know, we talk about analytics. They've always been uh, this century, at least since since Lurie took over, I guess, 94. But in the 21st century, a team that's always about spending money, whether that's on players as well as all the infrastructure that goes around with running a team. I, I assume it's a situation where, you know, is there going to be a better situation from half for Howie outside of just maybe the relationship between him and the owner? That's a big problem. Like, I think... Like, uh, does Howie get another job? You know, out, I think out. he definitely. Oh my God, he'll definitely get another job because then it'll spin. will be like, oh, Laurie kind of got all in on me. He won a Super Bowl. He made the playoffs X amount of years. They drafted, you know, X amount of uh, Pro Bowl players while he was on the organization. Yeah, he definitely get a job. Yeah, he'll def- like, yeah, when Howie came back to power, they won a Super Bowl within two years, and the reports came out that Laurie was pulling strings, etc. It was, so, it was Doug was an issue too, and Wentz yeah. was an issue. And, if that's yeah. the case, though, then I feel like he should have more leverage. You know, he should have more want to like throw his weight around a little bit. And you know, I, I think there there can be a way to do it respectfully. You know, it's not about like trying to like tell the owner he's an idiot and and he can't be involved at all. I think it has to be like. You know, like, look, Larry, like, we have to, like, maybe step, like, we have to take a step back here, and we have to, like, trust our board. Instead of making the pick for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, like, based on the owner's personal preference. You know, like, that doesn't, that's not a good process. Like, like, and it's up to the GM to, like, confront him on that and say that. And maybe the owner ultimately doesn't listen, and maybe that's the case. And at that point, Howie's hands are tied, and I can't blame him. But I don't, I don't even know if he's doing that. I think it's more of a yes-man thing. I want to get some more people involved here. Uh, a lot of people from requesting to speak. Let's get Julian up first. Julian. Oh, hey. What's up, man? Hey, guys. What's going on? Um, yeah, I just think, well, so, you know, some people might uh, recognize my username from BGN as being like the resident ship defender. So, you know, caveat that my opinions are probably insane. What's the username uh, again? The Barry Man. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, I should mention also not Julian Lurie. Just so mm. clear on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just think um, it, it's interesting. I was trying to find this article. I couldn't find it. But there was an article from like, I believe it was 2012 that was talking about how there's like conflict between the, the scouts and the coaches and how it was this kind of like backbiting atmosphere within the building. And 2012, we know also almost the exact same record. And I just think it's really interesting that... Um, I really think that this this issue is it's not at all new and it's just the same kind of stuff we've been dealing with for quite a while. And I also think that the chip years, um, you know, obviously I have you know many different defenses of it that I can make, but you know, I think he was onto something in terms of seeing, okay, something needs to be cleaned up here. And I think he did a decent job of making steps towards that that I think also had some effect at least on the on the Super Bowl win. Yeah. Uh, I won't go as as far as I will in the uh, in the comment section with that one, but uh. I think like to your point about this is some of the same stuff that's happening. I mean, well, there's a you know there's a common through line here it's because how he's been here for all this time, and I think that's very much in the article in the athletic the athletic article I should say talked about that in terms of it being kind of a weakness, getting like all the people pulling in the same direction and actually truly collaborating effectively as opposed to. You know, we're going to talk about collaboration all the time, but it's not actually going to happen. And there's weird blurred lines of power where, you know, Carson Wentz 
has the influence to, you know, do this thing, but then an executive has the influence to do that. But then Al- Halaby is determining the draft board at one point, but then Lurie is ignoring the board entirely and just take, like, there's no consistent process here. It's like, there's, it's like pick and choose yeah. what the, like, there's, there's no consistent decision-making pattern. It's like, it's like someone does this thing here, another person this thing there. Like, it's a mess. Yeah, and, and I think also with that, like, you'll see this, this has been happening for years where, Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to extrapolate a bit in, in some of this. But what you do see for years is all these leaks coming out, and it always does seem to happen with uh, some kind of controversial decision is made. Then all these leaks come out about it. They're blaming various different people and stuff. So even if it's kind of like in the room, it seems like a, a, a consensus is reached. It seems like then immediately it's undermined kind of in varying levels of behind the scenes or in public. Um, and that seems like another pattern that if they were really serious about correcting, it seems like it shouldn't be that hard to correct and figure out like who's you know causing these leaks. And I, I think the obvious issue is that it's coming from the top. I mean, whether it's Howie or Mr. Lurie or whatever else, but I think that they kind of encourage this thing, this media game that is kind of self-destructive because it sort of just undermines whatever process is the quote official process. I want to get uh, James up here next. James, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Hanging in. Cool. Um, so uh, a lot of things I want to say, but I'm going to try and condense it. Uh, and by the way, Seamus, not to kiss your butt, but I thought you had a really good mock draft the other day. Most of them are terrible, but yours was really good. So <laughs> wanted to tell you that. Oh, anyway, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. No, I really mean that because most of them are really, really bad. And yours was really good. So It takes anyway. so long to do those galleries, too. It's like the the, le- the least time-consuming thing is, like, picking where the players are going. So yeah, a lot of work goes into it. So I respect that. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, anyway, um, the thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was I think the two most fascinating things around the Eagles right now one is the relationship between Lori and Howie. I mean, I think we're trying to figure out what that relationship is like and then how that affects the Eagles. And this story, I thought Cliff made a really good point, but this story reminded me of stories that like Jeff McClain has written in the past about how um, Lori's not satisfied or he wasn't satisfied with how Doug Peterson was running the offense. And there was that story about after the double doink game that Lurie was apparently really pissed off, even though they won. Uh, he was pissed off that they won like 15 to 13 or whatever the score was. And I know the rest of us, we were like, awesome. Hey, double doink. We won a playoff game. Holy shit. And, and Lurie wasn't like that. And it reminds me of, I know Brandon's a Chelsea fan. You know, years ago, it wasn't good enough for the owner of Chelsea just to win. You had to win a certain way. And that annoys me as a fan because I just want to win. I, I don't care if we're throwing the ball like for 500 yards a game. I just want to win. And it kind of pisses me off when I read that like Lurie's calling Doug into his office and is going over like, why didn't you throw the ball more against the Packers? We fucking won the game. Like what? It was a football win that game. I was really proud of the team. So I, I'm annoyed when I read that. Because I think it should just be about the results. What do you guys think? I kind of get what Lori's going at because I think he's correct with the idea that the best way for consistent long-term success in this league is strong quarterback play. 
And we've seen that this entire century in the 21st century NFL, modern NFL. And I kind of thought the same thing when the team's having, it's a run heavy attack. And it was that in 2019, you saw games, they won like the green Bay game and the Buffalo game where they, you know, they just had these games that were a little close, but the Eagles did. Okay. The running game was good. The defense played pretty well. That doesn't add up to a team that is set up to win long-term or be a consistently good team or a team. That's a true threat in the playoffs. I don't think so. I can get that thinking, but at the same time going overboard on a, I say that for a regular season game. Once the playoffs, it goes out the window. The Bears' defense that year was phenomenal. They were playing a road game. It was cold. They had, yet again, a backup back quarterback in there. Uh, you know, you got to take that. You know what I mean? The, the playoff game is a little more outrageous, but I understand the, the thought process behind, uh, you know, his critiques in some of the 2019 games. And I think there was a reason they had to rely on the run game uh, especially earlier on in the season, before that last four-game stretch, was Wentz didn't play super well early in 2019. I'm not saying he obviously didn't play as poorly as he did in 2020, but he also didn't play as good as he did in 2017 or really in 2018 to kick off the 2019 season. Yeah, I definitely get that. Um, one thing I'll say, though, is that you know Wentz not playing so well in 2019, not throwing the ball so well, well, he's throwing to like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who Jeffrey Lurie, totally. as we understand, is like wanted to draft, you know? And so like, for me, it's like Lurie, he can't have it every which. At some point you have to trust the people you hire. Like that's the most frustrating thing for me. Like you hire scouting staff staff to do the scouting and then like they make a board and then, you know, ideally you kind of stick to that. Like you don't just, like what is the point of having a scouting staff if you're just going to like throw their hard work out the window at the last minute and you're you're just taking J.J. Arthiga-Whiteside because of some analytical thing that isn't even being explained to the scouting staff. It's not even like they're you know collaborating and they're on the same page. And it's like, well, look, scouts, you know, you might not have J.J. Arthiga-Whiteside so high, but the analytics do. It kind of seems like when decisions are made like that, it's not even like properly explained to everyone. It's kind of just like <laughs> there's a lot of people. You said it on the oddcast, Brandon. Uh, you know, the National Eagles podcast. Yes. About how, like, yeah, what, I like that. what is, <laughs> what even is the point of having a GM if, like, you're just going to do that job? And the Cowboys, I mean, that's basically, I mean, isn't it just Jerry Jones and his son? Doing <laughs> isn't it? how he kind of have his son, too, at this point? That's my, that's how I view it, too, in comparison to Dallas, yeah. right? Not by a lot. They still have, uh, I think is- so. They have um, that one guy who's kind of like their their main front office guy. His he's name, he's uh, from Clay. Dallas, so he's never leaving there. He's, he's kind of the guy who's in charge there. I don't know his name offhand, though. Right. But, uh, I mean, that's, you know, they have him. Uh, I want to get more people involved here. We have uh, David Keynes requesting to speak. David, what's, what's up, going David? on, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Going good. I guess I just want to, just thinking, like, how much involvement does Lurie have with the final? I know he, you know, pretty much yay or nay for like players but you know just over the past two years missing dk Metcalf, missing rager what do you think do you think it's more so like like you said the analytics when they're looking at and they kind of you know these players pass the paper test but then you see them play and it's you know they're surprised when they're not you know you showing out just like justin jefferson did this season i think one of the biggest issues when it's come to the draft and i want to write about this and i've talked about this in some of these locker room chats before is just like they're not evaluating football character well like Andre Dillard you know was falling in the draft 2019 unexpectedly and the Eagles were doing like last minute homework on him and it doesn't seem like they had a great sense of his temperament and personality 
And like, if he could kind of handle playing in a tough market, I think that kind of get, like we talked about that, that can kind of get overblown, but I don't think it is in this case. And so, and just being able to kind of have like, have the pulse on these guys in terms of like, you know, does this guy want to win? Like, obviously he has to be good, but like, does he want to do everything to be successful pro? Um, Does he have big winner energy as I call it? I think like they seriously haven't been able to evaluate that because, and maybe that speaks to like too much of an emphasis being put on analytics because they're not getting to know like the character of this person enough. And, and that matters in terms of like projecting how they're going to succeed in the NFL. It's not just about, you know, how, how do they look on a spreadsheet? It's about like, who is this human being? Like, are they going to work to get better? Do I have faith in them? Yeah. I also think it speaks to the division within the front office. You know, you have, uh, the analytics guys, you have the scouts, you have the coaching staff, and then they can't seem to agree on what they want or what they like or what they value in a player. And then when it comes time to draft, you know, ultimately that falls on Howie's shoulders, but there's no real consensus about where to go. So I agree with Brandon. It, it, it does have to do with how they're identifying it, but it sounds like they're just totally divided in the process. And that's not good for a success. No, and the, the issue is the fact that you know, before we were always saying, you know, two wins against the Giants, two wins against the Redskins. Now we can't say that, you know, you're seeing both these teams have been bad for, you know, a period of time. And now all of a sudden we're the, you know, underdogs. I still personally don't believe in the Giants. As long as Daniel Jones is their quarterback, I think they'll be bad. As far as the hiring people and trusting them, you're a hundred percent correct about that, Brandon, because I remember the Vikings game. One of the players were like, we're getting schemed our asses off, right? Xavier Rhodes. scheming us. Yeah, they're out-scheming us. And He's a skull loser, does, though. How does, what's it called? Sophie, hold on one second. How does um, Doug Peterson go from that to what we've seen last year? That's a great question. Yeah. And if you look at two of the great, if you look at two of the great franchise runs in the history of the NFL, or, or even three of them, the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, the Niners of the 80s, and the Patriots of the last 20 years, they had owners who trusted the GM and trusted the coach. And we're not seeing that. You can't babysit your coach and expect to have these results. You can't micromanage in that way. You have to trust them. Yeah, I think, I think you know, talk, hitting real quick on the fall-off thing, I think, you know, there's obviously a confluence of things that led to that. I mean, you know, obviously Wentz not being the same player. I think Wentz having an increased role in the offense. I think speaking to the point that we're talking about tonight in terms of, what's the big issue with the Eagles internally in the front office and everything It's collaboration. I think the collaboration of the coaching staff kind of broke down ultimately, or at least they didn't have that same collaboration dynamic that they did, you know, when they had Reich and, and flip and everything. Um, I want to get Andy up here too. Andy, what's going on, man? What's good guys. Can you hear me? Hey, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. We got you. Yeah. I feel like I feel a little differently about some of this uh, athletic article than, um, a lot of people. All right, let's hear um, it. Yeah, I said it earlier in the chat. I really don't have a problem with Lurie or Howie uh, meeting up with Doug after the games, even in wins to, you know, go over maybe what could have been or should have been. Um, if the numbers say strongly one way or the other, I mean, it gets into just going straight on the numbers, but Doug's got to accept some of that stuff and just see it that way. And uh, I did put that we're never going to really know the answer on that. But I think it's a just a good way to look at it. I don't think it's terrible to go over process. I don't think it should only be results-based. I think that's totally fair. But I think it's clear that 
however the Eagles did go about it. And I think you look at like that Packers game specifically as you know an example. I mean, like the Packers end up going thirteen and three that season. Eagles scored thirty plus points on them. I remember that win was like extremely incredible too, because like a team had never been down like the Eagles were at Lambeau and had like beaten Aaron Rodgers. Like it was a crazy good win. Thrilling. So, like, so like I'm not to say that like they can't go over it, but it seems like the way they did it was clearly problematic. Like it seems like it may may have come off, you know, like too too much of like second guessing of Doug as opposed to, you know, like, hey Doug, that's an awesome win. You know, here are things that we are kind of like going forward. We we want to even get better at. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel that, and I guess uh, just the message got lost between what the the owner and Howie, I guess maybe also wanted versus how Doug was trying to run his team. I heard Ruben Frank uh, talking about how the uh, owners and I guess Howie as well once again kind of maybe felt a little like they had to help Doug pick his staff and stuff. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Can I answer that? I um I actually have been thinking about that a lot. I think it's pretty clear Doug didn't have a lot of connections around the league. And I ultimately think that came to his downfall because totally. Doug went to high school coaching after his playing career was over. And then he only kind of worked with Andy Reid yep. um, up until he got the Eagles job. And I feel like, you know, it's that thing about like uh, networking and it's who, you know, I think that really kind of bit Doug in the ass because I really think Doug's a great coach. I said it last time we had here. I think he'll be the first coach to win with two different teams, but not knowing enough people uh, and then having Rich Scangarello forced on him. I just think that. Do you think Doug needs like an elite OC or something like that to go along with him then? Or what do you think think he needs a sounding board? Uh, yeah, I don't think he needs an, exactly an elite offensive coordinator, maybe just a guy who isn't from the same – what we talk about, the, the big phrase the last year was like the collaborative, the cohabitation matrix, like the, the idea that he needs someone that isn't exactly him, someone from a different brand of football. And now we saw that last year where they hired you know, 25, 30 people, it felt like, from all these – you know, different systems. And, you know, there were too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, none of the guys were really worth their weight in anything. You're getting the, you know, guys who, you know, went to high school with Sean McVay once and, you know, they went to a party with him once. Now he's the Eagles assistant head coach. Now you get situations like that. But I, I think that's an unbelievable point by James. I think that's entirely correct. It's not something I had to consider before, but because I'm on the same mind as James is Doug, Doug Peterson, a fantastic X's and O's coach, but someone who relied a little too heavily on his own guys and didn't have the foresight to or the connections to bring in other better voices after the the void that Reich and Flip left. Also need a quarterback who is going to <laughs> throw a five yard pass. Well, yeah, and not like try to like hijack the offense or, you know, like run the offense. Like a quarterback who takes the coaching. Like, quarterback that can get on the same page as his running back on a pass play would be nice <laughs> yeah i mean well can you imagine can you imagine if like the stuff that happened to doug in terms of like Wentz going to the line audibling like openly just being hostile in the way can you imagine if like a quarterback did that to bill parcells like he never would have taken that shit at all and doug tried to play like good cop a little too much i think with that and well, I mean, I, Wentz I, just held that. Held that. Wentz was more important in the organization's yes. eyes. Held more power. Held yep. held more sway. I think you know Wentz might have had more power in saying who was on the staff than than Doug did. 
and with a lot of things in the organization. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely uh, so. Uh, Marcus Hayes put out there I think just today that like like it is previously reported that Doug, you know, really wanted to save Wentz and or sorry uh, Reich after the Eagles kind of the Eagles wanted to move on from Frank Reich in 2016. After 2016, you know, because they were only like, what, 22nd passing and whatever. It wasn't good enough for Lurie, apparently. And Wentz, apparently, at least reporting to, according to Marcus Hayes, was like the one who really stuck his neck out. And I mean, this makes sense, given what we know about their relationship and really tried to save him. So what does that tell you that the quarterback can save? And also, I know this. I know that Carson Wentz won and Mike Groh gone really badly when Doug Peterson wanted him to stay. And guess who won? Well, the really interesting thing I thought with the, the, the sorry, the interesting thing I thought about with the uh, Mike Grow thing was, I, I believe it was in a Jeff McClain piece that he said that one of the reasons that he clashed with Wentz was that Grow wanted to scheme against the opposing defenses, whereas Wentz wanted him to scheme for his strengths, which I just thought was like, uh, no, you definitely want the offensive coordinator to scheme for the opposing defenses. Like I thought that was kind of crazy. And it, it does sort of tie into the whole, like, win, uh, pass-run ratio thing. Like, to me, my kind of take on that whole thing is it's really nice to be able to rely on your quarterback to win. Like, you really need to be able to do that. But it's almost preferable not to be constantly relying on that and to have a multidimensional offense where you can run the ball if you need to uh, because that's uh, really good for your defense, too. And so that kind of complementary football that we were seeing uh, against Green Bay or against Buffalo in 2019, I really like that style because then you can unleash the downfield attack if you need to. Um, but it actually makes it easier for a quarterback and he can be much more efficient. Like Wentz was super efficient in those games, even though he didn't have a lot of pass yards um, because he was just able to pick and choose his spots. And it was like a lot more highly schemed. Whereas when you see this to me, like Wentz ball, where he just kind of like goes to the line you know, uh, seven step drop takes a sack. I mean, okay. That's a little bit harsh maybe, but like to me, the, the Wentz ball thing is just like, this is, this sucks. Like I like, yeah, maybe that's like what, you know, it's like super aggressive downfield and all this stuff, but like, you're not, it's to me, that's less consistent. And like, to me, something like Tom Brady, right. Where like, yeah, you can see it in the second half of the Atlanta super bowl, right. He's able to just put the team on his back and let's go. But he prefers not to do that. He prefers to only kick into that if, if we need to do that to win. So that's kind of, and, and, and sorry, I'm going long on that, but just one final thing with that is um, I, I kind of feel like Jeffrey Lurie, and I think this goes back to Joe Banner, but I think they kind of take almost a backwards kind of approach to that, which is like, well, we look at these general trends and we see that if you have this elite quarterback who's able to do all this passing stuff, then you're going to be guaranteed success well, do you know that you have this quarterback? It's like you're almost kind of trying to wish it into existence by saying, well, if we had this game plan and we, you know, we've kind of determined, we've like, you know, anointed ourselves as being these, uh, as having selected this franchise quarterback, therefore we must be able to win these games by doing, like having this particular form of scheme rather than just, let's just kind of let it organically happen. Let's do what, uh, you know, we're seeing on tape that that we could scheme with the opposing defense and kind of like let's let it grow organically rather than trying to force the issue and that reverse engineer it. Yeah, but that's what Brand we saw that happen in 2017, that they were winning the games, not with the quarterback, but because of the quarterback. And they saw it when doing that so quickly in the league. It was so reasonable to assume that he was a, you know, a top level, top tier elite guy where 
the entire offense was going to be through him rather than with him. And then when the, the play dropped off, and there was obviously issues with some of the assistant coaches leaving that were instrumental in the success in 2017 and those types of things, but there was already precedent that this offense was going to be run through him. So when it wasn't, that's when issues fly up. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Oh, we need David Rose up here next. We got hey, two Alex, more people after it's this. A great, it's a really great panel so far. I just kind of wanted to touch on a couple points that a lot of people have made. Uh, first off, for I think Julian, I'm also on a team chip camp. Uh, also, I, I think a, a lot of us know what the what kind of relationship this is. I think the articles that were written were kind of trying to analyze our front office by the metric of how other front offices are run. And I think they miss what the relationship of the front office is and the Eagles. And the relationship is, as everyone here has already kind of like touched around the edges, it's a family relationship. What's going on, it's not that Jeffrey Lurie views Howie Roseman as a son. It's more like he views him as a spouse. They came up together. They're loyal to each other. They're committed to their process. You know, they're, they kind of like have their ways of dealing with each other. Originally, Andy Reid was in the role of like their son, and they saw him grow and want more power and want more responsibility and wanted to take over the family business and then eventually kind of like leave the house. Like that's kind of what was going on. And then they, when Chip Kelly left and, and excuse me, when, Andy Reid left and Chip Kelly came in. You had someone who was trying to enter into the family relationship from a business perspective. And he literally was trying to like carve a wedge between Lori and Roseman because he didn't like that relationship. And he tried to literally put Howie in the closet and he wanted to go over and, you know, kind of like minimize the role that Lori was put in. And by threatening that relationship, that's what got him ostracized. And caused a lot of problems. I think that what we're looking at here is it's the same kind of. I, I recognize this relationship because I see it a lot in my own family. 
I, I look at like my father and I seem to identify my father with Jeffrey Lurie. You know, he thinks of himself through his occupation. He was a producer. He's used to having his hands in all of the different like aspects of like the work that he's doing. And when he brought over with the Eagles, he still wants that relationship. He values the work product that you do, but he cares also about the culture. He knows that Eagles fans care about the culture. We don't just want to win, but we want to win like, you know, a Philly way. And Jeffrey Lurie thinks that he has a way of putting a stamp on what the Philly way looks like. And so he wants to kind of define that. The problem is, as he's getting older, he's becoming like the obstinate, angry dad who is just kind of like forcing his opinions on everyone else with, you know, too much candor and not enough tact. And who's going to like, you know, go to the family patriarch and then kind of tell them to check himself. And And oftentimes has to be like the mom. It has to be the spouse. So really what's going on here is we're having a crisis of respect, not of content. I have no problem with Jeffrey Rory having meetings with a head coach and communicating what his thoughts are. I do have a problem with him not being respectful in the way that he's treating his coaching staff, whether it is in a son kind of relationship or in a uh, hired help kind of relationship with like the new coaches that are being brought on. But they need to be treated with respect. And the person who needs to check him is the person who has the closest relationship, which is Howie Roseman. The blame that belongs with Howie Roseman is he needs to take advantage of the special relationship that he has with Jeffrey Lurie and address how he's communicating with his organization. I think if they address that and they start to communicate even the same points, but communicate them from a place of respect, where you respect you know, the people that are in their role, their professionalism, their experience, their point of view, I think it'll go a long way to, you know, improving the overall, you know, communication and dynamic of the whole organization. But that's where, where, where I view the problems are. Yeah, you can't win with all that division in there. And you can't win if uh, leadership is askew. That's definitely true. I think if we're, you know, we're talking about process, which again, I think is important. And again, why it's okay. I'm not saying that Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman can't talk to Doug Peterson after a win at all and say, again, talk about like what could be better in the future. But like when it's not being done in a way where, or if it is being done in a way rather where the coach is like feeling seriously second guessed, well, that's probably a problem. And it's probably not just eliminated, eliminated, limited to the coach being like insecure or too sensitive because it's clear that, you know, there are other, you know, blurred lines here again, like where um, communication isn't happening effectively between different departments. Which is kind of a knock on Doug, like, you know, to a certain degree, while I do think it is Howie's responsibility to step in and say, you know, Jeff, we, you know, we can't be talking and making the points in this way. There's a better way to do it. You know, Doug should also be able to stand up for himself better. And I don't think he did a particularly good Well, they job constantly undermined him. That's part of the problem. Well, but but again, there's a way to be able to, again, I, I think of it like my dad. You know, so when my dad goes overboard and he like comes down and he says something that's embarrassing about like me or something, there is a good way for me to check him and there is a bad way for me to check him. And there's a worse outcome, which is for me not to do anything and let it just continue. 
which is oftentimes what happens in a dysfunctional family, right? What happens is you have like an obstinate person who becomes a big personality and nobody just wants to have to deal with trying to like take on that drama. Right. And so they kind of get get on the way and they just say, well, that's how grandpa is, you know, you know, that's how grandpa is. Grandpa's never going to change. We all have to kind of like bend around him. I think that's a situation where we currently are, where everyone's just kind of like, all right, Jeffrey is getting worse. He's getting like less tactful, not more tactful. Like his points aren't bad. Like, I think it's perfectly reasonable for him to say, listen, that was a great win. I mean, he didn't do this, but, you know, he could have said that was a great win. We're glad that we're winning. But remember, our goal is we're trying to win this way. We're trying to change this culture and move the team in this direction. And we don't want to just, you know, we don't want to get too high on a win that we kind of like lucked into. Like we eked out a win and that's good. We need to be able to eke out wins once in a while. But, you know, we're trying to create something where we're, like, being dominant and putting our stamp on things. Like, like that first playoff game. Like, yeah. You know, really, there are ways to be able to communicate it without belittling the people. Yeah, yeah. But so you have to think about, like, with, you know, even though you're saying, like, it's a family structure and, like, you know, you're, like you said, you're using dad and grandfather as, like, an example. The difference is, though, I feel like Lurie can quickly, as much as he can turn that family vibe on, he can quickly become, like, you know, he's your boss. That's this is. There's no friendliness between this. So, oh yeah, I, oh I, yeah. You know, also, you have to think about how. Also, you know, Wentz had more say than you know Peterson. It's like, how do you think he's going to feel when all he does is get talked to about you know winning a game? It kind of depletes your confidence, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go along with this ride, and when my time's over, I'm going to say I'm gone. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that's a really good point. I, I think that it's like this family structure, but now like their crisis is they're having this crisis of it's becoming a modern family. So now you have like the established family relationship of like Jeffrey and Howie. And now all of a sudden there's some new people are in the house, right? And the new people were Doug Peterson who aren't part of the family, but now they're in the family. And it's like, how do they work into this? Are they the help? Are they like... Are they Benson? Are they the driver? Like, what? what is right. their role and what's going on? But it's So, David, really, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I appreciate you. Well, so my, my question really is, okay, so I, I think you make a great point. I guess my question is, I'd ask Lori, why are you giving more power to somebody who there's been multiple articles about, uh, who's the guy, Joe Santa Liquido, and there's been articles about him being a hindrance in the offense, a hindrance in the locker room. And I think Wentz is a pretty good player, but regardless, that's been out there. And you give less power to Doug, who I get it. Coaches are not like what the NFL makes its money on. I understand that. But Doug, there's never been a report about him about like not leading the locker room or his players giving up on him. Like not once when Doug was in charge, even that last game when we tanked, the players never gave up on Doug Peterson. So why don't you invest in that guy who shows you that instead of the guy who has players coming to the media and saying, Oh, he's um, you know, he's the reason that the offense is sputtering. I think that fits within your argument, David. I just don't get why Jeff doesn't have the sense to say, Hey, this is the person I should be investing in. I think Wentz is more of a point of pride for him. Like, I think, yeah. you know, look, we gave up all this stuff. We got this quarterback. Look how smart we are. That's my guy. 
I was talking yeah. to Joe Santoliquito, and he said that. He's like, he's looking down on the field, you know, in 2017. Like, hey, that's the guy I told us to go up in. You know, I was the one who was like, we have to get up and get this guy. You know, where Doug Peterson was kind of more of like, you know, they hired him because they had to hire a head coach. <laughs> and he wasn't their first choice. So I, I think. But isn't it weird they that. don't feel that way? Isn't it weird they don't feel that way about sure. the BLG? Like, sure, it is, but I'm just and, saying, like, that's behind it. And yeah. Lurie's best, Lurie's best, um, what, what should I say, asset is that I think he's found five, well, four, we don't know about Sirianni. He's found four pretty good coaches. I know Chip didn't end so well, but he's found four pretty good head coaches. I don't know why he wouldn't hang. He should. He should feel pride, pride in that. And he should feel pride in Chip Kelly. I mean, regardless of your opinion of Chip Kelly and what he did for the Philadelphia Eagles, he did change the NFL. Yeah, Chip was a revolutionary that didn't, I guess, finish the revolution, I guess you could say. <laughs> he won right away. Two great seasons winning. Yeah. And yep. I think he just got still here. Like, as great coaches that are supposed to be stubborn and stick to their guns, he just never decided to learn more and, like, grow on that. He just yeah, I mean, stuck to what he – He absolutely he absolutely changed the NFL. You know, he's, he's like Moses is not allowed to get to the promised land kind of a thing. Like he was able to point everyone in the right direction. Everyone started heading there, but he's not allowed to enter. Like I, I, I kind of think that you know there were some really great choices that were made along the way that the Eagles to take a lot of pride in. And I oh. oh, I'm sorry. What were we saying? No, right? no, no. I just want to get to someone when you're done, but finish up. Oh yeah. So you know, and and like you know, the head coaching decisions that have been made by and large have been very impressive. I remember when, like, you know, Chip Kelly, what, I, I mean, excuse me, when Andy Reid was the selection coming in as, like, a quarterback's coach with a big binder. And he came in and he, like, spent half hour talking about the long snapper during his interview. And I loved the fact that they said, this is our guy. And they went over, they picked it, and I'm like, all right, that's who our guy is. I, I, I like that they were, like, investing in some, like, you know, young idealist who had like big ideas and a way of doing things and nailed the interview, you know, and nailed the interview. But part of what happened is he also changed the culture at that stage of Jeffrey Lurie's development as a owner, his like experience as a football guy was being formed. And in a lot of ways it was formed during the Andy Reed portion of, of the career. But when, when Andy Reed was there, it helped to shape it. So, he bought into these like analytics and these offensive schemes and passing and that like, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of play it is, you know, who's catching the ball. It's all a reception, even if it's by a running back, right? Like all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think that helped shape him, but I, I think where he is now is we're having a kind of a, a communication crisis and you have a bunch of like old dogs who need to be able to like, you know, basically get a little bit of counseling on how to communicate with each other again. Going back to what I said earlier, yeah, I think Andy had the clout too. Like, I think Larry respected his opinion and like trusted him to some level where, again, it wasn't just like Andy's going along with what whatever Jeff Larry wants. I think there was more collaboration back then, and I don't think it's coincidence they also had more success, ultimately more sustained success back then. Uh, obviously not reaching the Super Bowl, but, you know, more regular season success. I want to get to – so four more requests in, so I want to get to – try to get to all of these here, starting with Warren. Uh, Warren, you're up next here. How's it going? Is it the same Warren Sharp who worked for the Eagles briefly? Not the same Warren Sharp. Oh. Sharp. Yeah, hey, Warren. How's it going? Uh, I'm sorry. You, you went south there for a second. Um, 
you know, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, it sounds like a soap opera here. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hoping with the new coach that they back off a little bit because they'll kill this guy, uh, you know, with all this dumping, all this pressure, all these meetings with him. You know, I think they got to kind of let him do his thing and and back off a little bit. And the other thing is when it comes to the draft, uh, I think Howie Roseman, the, he, he's got a trust issue. And I think the people underneath, what I understand, has a, he has a lot of good people. Let, you know, they need to come up with a strategy on, you know, what direction they want to go. And then let let these guys run the draft. I mean, it's his final call. It's his call. But having Jeffrey Lurie involved with all this, I don't think, I think he's got to back off. And the athletic story kind of did a good job of showing like how far that goes back. And I think we can all appreciate that at some level of like, if we own the team, we would want to be in there like doing that. No, I'm sure. You know what? I wouldn't want to be, I'd want okay. to watch and I'd be interested, but to get in people's faces all the time like that, it's not healthy. You know, I'm an owner in a business. I have 18 partners Okay. and we have all have our own responsibility and we stay out of each other's way. And, and it, you know, we collaborate, but, you know, we, we don't have people looking over our shoulders like that. That's mm-hmm. that's just ridiculous. Uh, uh, you can't wait. They're not going to, you know, I'm shocked they won a Super Bowl. Some of them are also just as shocked. Like, that's in the story. Like, they're like, I have no idea how we won a Super Bowl. And that's something, honestly, I thought about after the Super Bowl, just kind of going back to the Ben McAdoo part of it all. Like, that's the guy that he was wanted to hire before Doug Peterson. And... Just hearing about some of the other things, like the Eagles are ready to move on from Doug after the first year and put Jim Schwartz in place, like possibly during the Super Bowl season, you know, if things had turned out a little bit differently. Like this wasn't an organization, you know, built on like a, a super strong foundation. It was like very, the success they had was like very delicate. So yeah, I don't was, know. It but, seems like a lot of micromanaging going on, but you know, if you let people, if you have good people in place, let them do their jobs. And, you know, maybe Howie Roseman's the problem. Maybe he's not a good manager. And, you know, and, you know, we, and maybe that's really the issue. That, that's why Lurie gets so involved that Howie just doesn't know how to deal with people. And that's the issue. Then, you know, he really needs to go. Yeah, it really feels like they just never took him back fully. All the meetings, uh, forcing players on in. Uh, telling them who to play in the week. Hey, Warren, Make can I have you mute for a sec just because your mic is picking up? Or no, you're good, Andy. I think it's coming from Warren's phone. Gotcha. But I'm going to get off here. Thanks. Oh, okay. Thanks for hopping on, Warren. Thanks, Warren. Uh, go ahead, Andy. Sorry to cut you off. I just was hearing the static uh, there. It just really feels like they never trusted Doug, you know? Uh, I remember that article that came out after uh, the first year he was coaching here saying that people in the building felt like Schwartz was uh, maybe more of the head coach or leaning that way. And uh, it makes you wonder if they're going to do it the same with Sirianni. He's already off to a better start by being able to hire people that he's familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really hope that we do see like some new stuff coming out of that building and stuff like that. You know? Uh, I want to get Danny Rogers up here next. Danny, how's it going, yeah. man? Good, how you doing? Um, yeah, so I want to bounce kind of off what Warren was saying about um, kind of the management. So, you know, I've had my uh, my crappy boss before, and at the time that we were the most efficient was when we kind of had the manager that knew what he had to go to the boss with and what was better to keep from the boss. And it really seems like Howie is just the, 
sending everything right up the ladder and causing problems. So I mean, my kind of question is, what what will it take for him to get rid of Howie? You know, being his kind of little pet there. Like, how many more drafts you to let him go through? How bad does the fan base have to get before he kind of decides to move on? Um, yeah, that's kind of my question for the room. I just don't. I'm not gonna like believe it till I see it. I feel like I, I I feel like we're not close to it, right? Like, what? How could what, fan morale be any lower? I, yeah. I said this in a couple locker rooms. I said it on my own pod. I said it in writing. In the 21st century, the offseason hype and juice and energy around this team has never been lower. Never. Even at the points when they had down seasons, off years, there were always reasons for optimism going into that fall. That's what was kind of magical about being an Eagles fan, that you could always convince yourself and hang your hat on something. And while I do have my own sort of excitement for the season, just because I like Jalen Hurts, I just want to watch football again. You know, for the average fan, I understand not being super into this. What is there to latch on to? What, you know, I what th- is it going to take from there? I mean, if he's not firing Howie now, he fired a Super Bowl winning head coach. He traded away the two quarterbacks. Well, he didn't trade away Foles, but Foles left. The quarterback who won the Super Bowl went an indisputable part of that Super Bowl run. What's it going to take for him to go? I don't know. It, it's I don't know if it's going to happen. This is the lowest it's been. What's, <laughs> what's lower than the? It's like the opposite of Michael Jordan saying the ceiling is the roof is the, the roof. ceiling. Or whatever the ceiling is, the, ceiling the, ceiling roof. is the roof. Yeah. What what's lower than the basement? I, I guess I would I, – my thought here is that I guess this is, in theory, his last chance in terms of, like, this is his new last window, <laughs> which just sounds so silly when you look at standards around the league. Not a lot of DMs get to hire three head coaches or four or be, be you know be here for four uh, like it is now for Howie. And I would guess that, you know, I, I think you just look at the trade down and that totally signals, like, a move, like, okay – all right, Howie, you have an opportunity to do something here. Either you can build around Jalen Hurts or you can trade for a quarterback or you trade up for a quarterback, and that's the new era. And I guess I feel like it would take, like, Sirianni, you know, being a disaster probably, although they might just pivot to Gannon, I don't know, at that point. <laughs> oh, and, like, them just not being able to figure out the quarterback. I think I think it would have to be, like, all of that. Is that fair? I think it's mainly the quarterback. I okay. feel like if Jalen Hurts struggles next year, because that's Lurie's all-time favorite thing, we need to have a good quarterback. Sure. If Jalen struggles this year and whoever we get next year, if they struggle too, mm-hmm. then I feel like he might pull the plug on Howie. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point, Bryce. Right, but I but, think it's going to be a situation where, let's just say Hurts failed this year. I don't think it's going to happen, but just say that's what happens. And the Eagles now have you know three first-round picks next year, and they're picking at pick six. And there are two quarterbacks that are going to go top one and two. And then Jeffrey Lurie's like, there's no one I trust more to, you know, make the big trade <laughs> and get the exercise, the most value out of our draft picks in a, in a huge swinging franchise altering trade than Howie because we've seen before. And then say they get Sam Howe from UNC and he looks okay or, you know, struggles a little bit as a rookie in 2022. And it's like, well, we got to rebuild this team around Sam Howe. Let's give Howie some time to put the team around. Him. Where does it end? <laughs> That's, that's, that's I know we're going super negative, but just that's. But you know, th- but that's all the reason why it was made so it's, much it's sense. Possible. It's it's all the reason why it made so much sense to make a clean break this offseason. Like that's why, and fans would be back on board if they did, right? We'd all have a different tune. You can't tell me we wouldn't. It's I mean, same. who else is he going to blame? I mean, who who else is there? Everyone's gone. Yeah, I know. Well. But like, don't underestimate his ability to do that because it's never it's never his fault. It'll There's be Sirianni's fault. He's, 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 he's the greatest like magician. Done quarter, 
head coach, I feel like. And I like him a lot, but just, you know, this is an off year. Oh, we, we hired the wrong guy. You know ah. what I mean? It was Hurts. We got to get a new head coach to bring in with the new quarterback we draft next year or something like that. I feel like we're living in the timeline, and I'm sorry if you're not a Sixers fan, but like I feel like we're living – like the 2021 Eagles offseason is like what the 2020 like Sixers offseason would have been if they didn't hire Daryl Morey. It's like like that move restored faith in people. It's like, oh, now we have like a new GM who inspires confidence, and now I can kind of feel good about the team again. Because otherwise, I honestly felt totally checked out about the Sixers after they got swept by the Celtics. So I'm looking at this, and I'm like, I don't care that they hired Doc Rivers. That's not going to change the whole calculus here. Like, they, this roster is not constructed great, and it's going to need a lot of work. It's going to need some smart maneuvers to get back to feeling good about it. And Maury did that, and it wasn't hard to make the moves that he did, but he made them. And... I just don't have that level of faith here with Hallie. Like, like it's funny. Like people are talking about like how he's having a good off season. I mean, like, I guess you can argue that in the vacuum of 25% of the team's cap space this year is going to be spent on players who aren't even on the roster. And like, they couldn't make even better moves because of, you know, mismanaging the cap and whatnot. Like, sure. Like he's having a good off season. If you don't account for all of that, but like, <laughs> you can't do that. Like the whole picture has to be graded here. Yeah. Other than that, how is the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Like, <laughs> right. When I trace the evolution of like the coaching carousel in the Eagles organization, and you see that, like, okay, so Chip Kelly was gone because he wasn't enough of a player-oriented coach. And then they brought in Doug Peterson because he was such a player-oriented coach. And then they got rid of Doug Peterson because he wasn't matched up with what the analytic view was of Jeffrey Lurie. I'm kind of tracing this out to think that maybe part of the Sirianni hire is that Sirianni is in line with that analytic point of view and then has gotten Lurie excited about the young coaching staff that he has put together to be able to drive the organization in that direction. It seems to me at every turn, what Howie Roseman has always done is he has always kind of sought to get consensus. And it's kind of like, well, my coaching staff kind of wants this kind of a player. And so we're kind of going after that. And the coach and the owner wants this, and he keeps seeking that out. So I believe when people say, well, the Eagles don't take Alabama players or the Eagles don't draft linebackers. I'm thinking that is kind of reflect, you know, reflecting the attitudes of people in the scouting department or the coaching staff or the ownership as it was when they're seeking that consensus. And I'm wondering if this new coaching staff is able to kind of say, this is the imprint that we want and be able to, and then they're going to build the consensus that way. I I think, you know, also you got to give it to Lurie just, you know, it doesn't like he never really gets his first, you know, head coach choice besides, I think, you know, Chip Kelly, I think was his first, if I'm wrong. Um, but I mean, I think he just feels like, you know, he's kind of just whatever he touches kind of turns the gold because he's really gotten very fortunate with these second, third and fourth choice coaches that he hired. Yeah. I mean, I mean, part, part of the reason is there are really great coaching candidates that are out there. that don't get opportunities. 
I was very surprised. I mean, when, when I'm looking for the coach who I think would have like solved the communication problem is that coach was probably Deuce Staley. Because Deuce Deuce Staley was here and he isn't like the help. Deuce Staley is part of the family. He's part of the modern family. Right. And so I think he has sat there as a family member observing all the dysfunction all this time. And if he was finally put in the position where they said, we want you to take a leadership role in the family, right? You're now making the decisions. He would be the one to to kind of go to Howie Roseman and say, I need you to kind of like help rein in Jeffrey in how he speaks to people, right? Like, I want to hear his points. I want to get that perspective. I I want him to keep me in real. Right. I don't want him to like let me get a big head because I won the game when, you know, we're trying to like achieve other things too. Right. Well, can I just, can I just jump in here real quick? Um, yeah. One thing, because I think that, yeah, a lot, I think a lot of people at this point have this fear of like, okay, what if, you know, we have a bad season next year and, and then Howie still is here and, uh, you know, we need a coach that can kind of get around this and fix it and kind of take leadership of the team and everything. I'm kind of at the point where I'm just in the mindset where, okay, how he's going to be the GM no matter what. No matter what happens, he's going to be a GM. No matter what happens, Jeffrey Larry and Howie Rose are going to be in charge. So given that, mm-hmm. how can we kind of best – what are the best results that come from that structure? And to me, actually, I think we're in a pretty good spot right now, which is that they've just been humiliated. And that's when they do their best work, right? Sure. So I think this is great. I'm actually kind of looking forward to next season. What I'm almost more worried about than having a bad season and then how he sticks around would be we have a good season and then he goes on to his kind of like uh, tour of vengeance mode and starts doing all these self-destructive things and, you know, patting himself on the back. And then that start- bullshit. Exactly. Because to me, the perfect example of this, and now maybe we'll disagree with this. Uh, I, I've just resigned to this. No one's going to believe me. But just bringing Deshaun Jackson back to me was like the worst move ever of the post Super Bowl era because yeah, he had good stats and everything. He was still has the talent. But if you look at it from the angle of what happened when Chip got rid of him, the fans hated it, right? The fans hated it. But Jason Kelsey tweeted out he couldn't be more excited with where this, the franchise is going. Then we had this whole, you know, okay, Chip goes in or whatever, but a lot of the people he brought in who were kind of team first guys, positive attitude guys, not caring about their personal stats. They still stuck around. And we brought in more guys like that. Give Howie credit for that. Uh, but that was that Super Bowl team. I don't see Deshaun Jackson fitting into the culture of that Super Bowl team. And to me, when he brought back Deshaun Jackson, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that Super Bowl thing was cool. But Deshaun Jackson was the real, like, that's who I, and I'm like kind of giving an F you to Chip by bringing Deshaun Jackson back. See, yeah. it was really, I was the smart guy all along. Chip had, didn't know any whatever he was talking about. And to me, like, yeah, Deshaun, he it put up petty. some great plays. He still has the talent. Uh, he, he added the plays to his uh, highlight reel, and he puts out his rap album, Win Win. But meanwhile, the team sucks. So to me, that's kind of how I see it. I understand it's a lot of kind of speculation and guessing, so there's no way of proving it. Yeah, so that by all me. accounts, Deshaun was a different player in the locker room than, you know, 2019 compared to 2013. A different person uh, as an NFL player in the way he carries himself. And, you know, there were a plethora of, you know, terrible moves in the post-Super Bowl era. But I don't think a guy who, you know, obviously would he play like three full games or, you know, had, you know, a 10% few of the touchdowns. offensive snaps. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a disaster, but it's not like they use, I think, you know, whiffing on, 
you know, a first rounder taking over a guy who looks like he's a, on a Hall of Fame trajectory, taking a receiver over him's bad, trading up for an offensive lineman who they didn't even, you know, have a face to face meeting or chat with before the draft and get a read of him as a personality is a way bigger whiff. I think giving Alshon that midseason extension needlessly that, you know, was it wasn't even the, the first... extension. It was the guarantee. Like the, yeah, well, the yeah, extension... sorry. The, yeah, the, the extension in 2017 was fine. The, the guarantee. The guarantee was, was nonsensical. Was the, There's no yeah, reason. The guarantee for 2020 was, was the issue there, yes. So, you know, I have a soft spot for Deshaun given how well he played in that first era in Philadelphia. But I think it's, you know, strange to single him out as, you know, the, the downfall of the Eagles wasn't Deshaun Jackson. To, to what Julian is talking about there, it reminded me one of the quotes that stood out to, most, to me from the Athletic article, which was, quote, at the heart of Roseman's weakness is an obsession with the way he's portrayed, and that plays into his management style. 100% true. It's absolutely true. Like, a 1,000%. I want to get Sonny up here because it's been a long, and then we have Ryan, too. I want to get up here after that. Uh, Sonny, how's it going, man? I'm good. What's up? What's up? What do you got for us? I've been following Eagles for 55 years. Love All it. I ever hear is excuses. <laughs> <laughs> it's always next year. Mm-hmm. Only thing I think is the Eagles held on to a lot of guys who were over the hill when they could have probably traded them. Jason Peters, you look at Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Je- Jeffries. These guys were on an injured list more than they were in the field. And it's things like that. They keep hoping that these guys rebound and the truth of it is is these guys sat on a sideline sucked up millions millions of dollars and never even played you know, that's that's how i see it and the draft pick white side and all them you know a lot of wasted draft picks after 55 years i just keep saying maybe next year yeah they're holding on to the past right i think last year was I guess the last year you can, can still would consider it like, oh, the Super Bowl era. We have Doug, we have Wentz, we have some of these players that were unbelievable in 2017 and relying on the past too heavily. And again, that goes into the Deshaun thing where, uh, you know, he was successful, a, you know, an electric player here for five or six years or however long it was. Yeah, and great. then we want to recapture the past. The whole like theme of 2020 was, you know, yeah, you know, terribly trying to get back to those 2017 vibes and, you know, every which way, whether it's, you know, the older players you're keeping around Jason Peter, Deshaun Jackson, uh, then, you know, you're bringing in that like large supportive coaching <clears throat> staff. So you have this, you know, collaborative situation, all of those things add up to, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not progressing forward. Well, just look at, they took the left tackle Dillard. I mean, yeah. kid cries on the sideline and, you know, where's where's the leaders on the team to say, hey, pat them on the back, get up, get back in there. I mean, you know, the guy was great in college. He comes to Philadelphia and he cries on the sideline. And then you see other players saying, you know, he was happy to be on the sideline. That's a disgrace. You know, yeah, I think there could have been an issue there where they didn't, you know, they didn't get maybe not have gotten a good read of his personality. You know, like I said earlier, they didn't. They didn't have an actual meeting with him before the draft. I don't think they thought they were going to be in a position to draft him. And when they saw an opportunity to, to move up, they like his tape, they move up. But, you know, but reality is that might the not player have been a, or is that the coaching staff? Like somebody, you know, I don't think you would have got could be both. that under a Bill, a Bill Belichick. Yeah, could be a, could be a lot of factors. It could be a fault yeah. of the front office for, a, you know, a misread of the talent, a, you know, player evaluation, the coaching staff for yeah. – you know, not stepping up. And then obviously some of that has to go to the player too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
everybody takes blame in this from yeah. Lori on down. There's on the team takes a lot of, you know, there's a lot of factors that play in. And, you know, a lot of people say Carson Wentz, Doug. I mean, you know what? A lot of these guys have shelf life. And I think Doug Peters was one of them. I mean, all them fourth down plays over the last, I mean, nobody does. I think he did more fourth down and whatever is one in 10 or 15 yard plays more than Belichick did in his 15 years of coaching. I mean, you can't get away with that forever. You're held accountable. Oh, I, I actually think that was a plus. Well, you do. If, if you can't get it done in three downs, then no, the no, fourth no, down I, is a gamble. I, I agree with you. I think maybe the execution's oh. a problem, but I, I kind of like agree with the philosophy of going for it on fourth down and trying to You know, in certain situations, possible. I agree. But when you're when you're losing a game and you and you're on your side of the fifty, I don't. I, I in most cases you're you're going to probably come out on the bottom end of that. It's I, also another thing with the with the measurement effect, right? With analytics, like it's not like you're just checking the weather. Where if you measure the weather, it won't change. It will give you a pretty much accurate picture. The more you're kind of basing decisions off of analytics, which are measuring those decisions, it's going to skew those numbers. And that's something I don't think they really quite understand. Is Yeah, if you have a set number of fourth down plays and the, the kind of statistical body of the, all the right. analytics is saying that these plays are X successful, but if you don't have a giant library of these plays and you're, and you're going back to them over and over, they're going to be less successful than the kind of percentage that they're getting fed. Like that percentage is not going to be accurate. So what are you saying? So basically, I think that they're just over, they're leaning too much on these numbers that are not inherently valid because the number. I agree with you. I agree with you. Sometimes you just got to punt the ball and hope that your your defense stops them. But I mean, think about it. I don't know what the exact number, but I mean, Doug, fourth down and whatever. I mean, he overplayed it. You know, or or your players just aren't giving it all. They're off on the first three downs. I I don't know. Is it poor play calling? I, I don't think Doug was a genius from the start. I I'm I'm not knocking me brought a Super Bowl and God bless him, but I I don't think he's. You can't put him up there with the geniuses. You know. Yeah, I I just don't think the problem was you know call you know going for it on fourth down. I think Eagles fans loved it when you know. You know, the coach believes in his team and he sends him out there to go get the one yard. I think, you know, we like that and we're, we're in favor of it. Oh, a lot of people like it. A lot of people like it. should be able to go out and get it. I and agree I'm with you. That, like the team didn't execute this year. Like that was bad. But, and I think we're going to see more of that under Sirianni yeah. here. Yeah, that's great. I think I think that's great. Hey, if you, if you put big bodies on the line on both sides, actually, you should be able to get a, a one yard. But I mean. How many times have we seen it that the Eagles were on the losing side of that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know uh, what the percentage is, but I'm sure I'm sure they were probably 50-50 in most cases. But, you know, some of the outcomes, some of their losses were based on them calls. And I'd rather see you get it done in three downs than four. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would push back on that. Somewhat sunny, but I, I hear what you're saying. I, wanna, I just want to get up uh, Ryan because he's the last one. Go ahead, man. Thank speak. you. Thank you for th- thanks for joining us. Th- I really appreciate Sonny. it, man. Later you're on, awesome, man. dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, can you hear me? You can hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Cool. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I think everybody's really talked about what I wanted to say. Uh, the only thing I did want to talk about was also with Nick Sirianni and the move, reading the article. 
The only thing that, I mean, like everybody said, is kind of like old news just being reprinted again. Just for, but I did, I kind of like the article also though, because I think one thing that we don't talk about enough is player development. Like you can make bad picks, but then when you do find gems, it's kind of funny that some of them just don't feel, see the field anymore. And we kind of, I want to know who runs the game day roster. If, if, if the athletic was able to find that out, you know, like who, who controls the 53? Because, you know, there was that, I remember those reports saying Doug controlled it, but then higher Roseman had a little say in it also. And then, like, I feel like one of the biggest stories that go under this year, because the Eagles were just in the news all the, all the time, was Travis Fulgham. Like, he just disappeared. He looked mm-hmm. like T.O. for a second. And then out of nowhere, no one, no one, they didn't use him again. Then Mylotta not being played. They played Jason Peters. Jason Peters not wanting to play right guard. Like, I feel like there's the one thing about Hyatt Roseman that we don't talk about enough, and I don't know if it's all his role, is the player development aspect. When, when he does find somebody, he always wants to put his draft picks in over. Because, I mean, he drafted those people. And the thing I'm scared about with Nick Sirianni is that he doesn't really have the clout yet as a head coach to be like, no, I'm not going to put that player in. I'm going to put the player in that's balling out right now. And that's what scares me is that I, when you look at the stats, there's no Jim Schwartz, there's no Silver Fox, there's nobody that you'd look at, maybe except for Stoutland, who's going to, you know, second-guess decisions. And that's the scariest part for me, honestly. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm choosing to look at that as a positive. I'm thinking part of the problem that we've had with player development was Jim Schwartz and was Doug Peterson, that neither of them were about, like, you know, player development. You know, both of those were players who preferred veterans, who had done it, who were able to come in and, and, and fill the role that they wanted to play. You know, that's mm. why I think, like, Jason Peters was held on to, you know, a year and a half, you know, longer than he should have been. You know, and it's, like, you know, hard knowing when to, like, show someone the door and, and move on. But Doug Peterson, you know, was a player's coach, and he liked, you know, what Doug, what you know, uh, Peters represents to the offensive line, and so wanted to ride that as long as humanly possible, and as long as they thought that he was being productive. I think this new coaching staff has a very different vibe. Like again, I how, know how, can you, how can you? How can you? Like how can you like tell that though? It seems like, like they're all teachers. Like you have a lot of people who are coming from college ranks who are going to be bringing in college ideas. I think mm. you have a lot of people who are like you know who are about developing players at different positions. So I'm 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 choosing to view that as something to be optimistic about. That they're going to be looking at some of you know the young talent that we're drafting with our 11 picks and seeing how they're able to develop it and maybe, like, you know, build a younger team. Who on this team has improved over the last two or three years? Uh, Mylotta. Mylotta. Sweat. Uh, you can say Goddard. Who was the second one you said, um, Gavin? Uh, which one? Uh, you said Mylotta. Mylotta, Sweat. Sweat, Goddard. You could argue Singletary. You no know, one Sing- in the- Singleton, yeah. No uh, one in the secondary. You said Sweat. I was misunderstanding you. Oh, yeah. my bad. Sorry. Josh Sweat, yeah. Uh, Sweat's the one that stands out to me for sure. I feel like Mylotta, we still don't know what we got with him. But he's definitely uh, He showed some stuff last yeah. year. I mean, I, mean, I would have been playing him over Peters, don't get me wrong. <laughs> that's also yeah, the one position coach that we had from college yep. who was a developmental guy with Stoutland. Exactly. Why, yeah. why are we playing like yeah. Nick guys, though? I don't, I don't understand what took so long to find oh. out. Like, I know he's gotten hurt, like Mylotta, but like – why is this like there's like, talent on the roster, but we don't see it. We just see Alshon and Deshaun out there. And it's just kind of like, what are you doing? So I saw that's, there's going to be an article about that also with Lurie and Howie both asking Doug, like, oh, what about these depth guys? When are they going to get in there? Blah, 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 et cetera, stuff like that. And I actually heard from 
Jason Avant on one of his podcasts on YouTube. He was talking about okay. how when Alshon came back, Alshon and G-Jax came back, they plugged yeah. them in and it messed with um, Fulgham's psyche. It messed with his confidence. He was like, I've been balling out. I've been working my butt off. And then these two come back and all of a sudden they take my minutes. Yep. Yep. And I was like, so it legit, it was, I don't know if that was a thing from Howie. I don't know if that was a thing from Lurie because Lurie and Jason Peters are, they're boys. We, everyone knows that. If he's like, you know, I'm healthy now, so I better be getting my, my time back. And I don't know how that all worked out, but there's just big issues. Alshon shouldn't have even been on the team. It's part of the problem. Like, mm. at all. Like, at all. I kept waiting totally to get cut. And he just never got cut. Yeah. And if you're going to say, like, it's Doug's fault, and okay, maybe at some level it is. But, like, okay, Alshon still shouldn't be on the team taking up a roster spot. Like, they could have put him on IR to begin the year. They easily, or PUP, they easily could have done that. And they didn't. And it was a waste. It was stupid. So, yep. again, kind of like going to what we said earlier, in terms of, like, different players, the player, coach, front office being, you know, I think there's different parties to blame. I think I think Wentz has a relationship with Alshon that he did he wasn't prepared to, like, lose him for the year. Really? I thought, I thought more of, like, Alshon being a Foles guy. I thought Alshon being on the team was like Howie trying to be the smartest guy in the room, fool the rest of the league. That oh yeah, look, yep. Alshon is healthy. He yep. can definitely help one of you guys. Trust yep. me, he's just not playing because we want to take our time with him and then try to trade him. That's but, exactly it. Because we even saw there was like a report that came out last I don't know July June that like Alshon Jeffrey's looking great. He's looking healthy. He's ahead of schedule. Don't count him out. That's actually what that's all about. Trying to trade him. And I think they're doing the same thing as that. But it's like, is it like Howie trying not to look? I'm, I'm sorry. Gone, you know, it's how he's trying to get like, you know, like when he signed Wentz, he's just trying to get like, he's trying to look like he, he knew what was going to happen. Like these players, you know, it's worth getting them early or like signing them too soon when there was like no need for it. And then it blows up in his, it seems like every time he's done that, it seems to blow up in his face over like the last three years. And I think he's doing the same thing with Ertz right now. Cause like, I know he's like, oh, we know what Ertz is. Last year was an off year. That's all good and true. But if we go into this next season with Ertz still on our team, we're going to go push that 12 personnel nonsense again because who's better, Ertz or Goddard? We're going to have a whole power struggle again with, like, well, we don't know if we should play Goddard more. Should we play Ertz a lot more so we can, like, advertise the rest of the team? Oh, look, just like I told you, he's still amazing. Give me a third-round draft pick for him. Yeah, my my take on that kind of thing is, like, I I think, and who knows who's to blame for these guys getting onto the roster, but I think BLG is totally right that, the roster construction is more of the problem with keeping guys like Alshon around uh, and Jason Peters around. And who knows, maybe Doug's pushing for those guys. But at the end of the day, I think uh, the player development side of things is maybe a little bit overstated because when these young guys did come onto the field, I think they played really well. And I think it comes more down to Doug being kind of a player's coach and saying, if the veteran is, is available, he's going to play because he's kind of earned this respect. And I think it maybe is a disconnect between Howie. He's not True. expressing that properly. But if the veteran's ready to go, he's going to play. And it's a next man up type of thing. And the next man up, actually, they play well. I think that's on Howie, too, though, because over the last two years, we've made 10 draft picks. If Howie really was like a let's develop them young sort of guy, he'd be like, let's get more draft picks. Let's get more young people in here. Like, And if you really think about it, um, John Hightower didn't play that great last year. Quez Watkins didn't play that great last year. Jalen Rager was Eh, okay. I, bad. I honestly think that Jalen Rager will be way better under Sirianni, where we all started to like take some of our words back, like, oh, no, this guy was actually really, really good. Yep. But I just think we did not develop any of them well. Like, I'm, I get to go down the list. Avante Maddox, we put him outside, and he sucked last year. When he was in the slot, he was amazing. 
Um, Darius Slay came over from Lions. He was a whole different quarterback for our team. And he's not saying that he was bad, but he wasn't as good as he was on the Lions. And I don't, I can't remember the last corner we had that was actually good. We do not develop players. We don't put them in positions to win or play well. And that's a Howie issue. I mean, so, so I, I have a question for the, the panel addressing a dysfunctional issue from a draft past. So when Andre Dillard unexpectedly fell to us and the Eagles organization wasn't like prepared as to whether or not they should take him or not, et cetera. So my question is, here we are with a 12th pick in this year's draft. What players can unexpectedly fall to us that will like change the perspective? Like right now they dropped down to 12 because they didn't think they'd get a quarterback. Sewell's the guy. Yep. Sewell's the guy. Sewell, Pitts, and Fields in that order for me. No, no. Does that mean that if Fields like fell into our lap that they wouldn't draft him? They have no, to take Fields if he's there. I think if Sewell's there, they would. I think if they wanted Fields, they would have just stayed at six and maneuvered yeah. up or wait for him. I think if Sewell's there at twelve, they're going to be like, oh, we got the. They're going to give the. Uh, you know, we were able to move down this draft, pick up a future pick, and we got the best offensive tackle prospect we've seen in a while. You know, that, people that's didn't the, even uh, think he'd be there at six, so we got him at twelve. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know. I think they're doing the same thing with Fields, though, because I think they're technically afraid. They said that, oh, um, since he might have taken Jamar Chase, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just trade down. I saw it as a, we don't really trust what we have in Jalen Hurts. We see all these reports about, oh, they're going to draft someone to compete with Jalen Hurts and all this stuff. So I think if Fields does drop to them, they're like, yeah, look, we need a franchise quarterback. We trusted our board, and he fell to us. But I also think he would go to the Falcons. But if you, you believe in him as a franchise quarterback, why are you trading down? Though? Trying to be the smartest man oh. in the room again. It's just stuff that Howie does. It never makes any sense to me. <laughs> that's that's funny. It's just like we go through this and it's like, well, why would they do this thing that doesn't make sense? Well, that's because of it. So what they do. <laughs> well, when he wants a quarterback, he's aggressive. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I, I don't. He, he overdrafted Wentz or overdrafted Hurts by. Consensus. He obviously made a bunch of moves to go up and get a top two quarterback. They didn't know it was definitely going to be Wentz, but it was one of the two between him and Goff. I think if they wanted a quarterback, they would have not not only not been picking at six, they would have been picking somewhere higher. Yeah. So that's what I'm afraid of. I think that he wanted Wilson. I think like Wilson's is like baby. But if Fields does drop to him, he'd be like, eh, I'll take this. I I don't think so. I I think he would just like yeah, I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it, and I could be wrong, but I don't think it's that way in that position. I don't think it's like, oh, this is a value pick. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's either they believe in the guy or they don't. And like, they either really, really want him or they don't. I don't think it's like, oh, we're happy to have him. We didn't really want him. Like, we weren't going to go move heaven and earth to get him. But, uh, oh, sure, we'll take him. I just, I don't see that. I mean, maybe. As much as I rail against like Howie Roseman, I give him credit for the trade down from six to 12. I think 12 is kind of a sweet spot for us this year. I think the reason they traded down is because they didn't – I think they, they were looking at four quarterbacks that are elite prospects that they could certainly build around in the future, which is what the Eagles are in a unique situation to be able to do. We don't have an existing scheme that has – we're not looking for a scheme-specific quarterback or anything. They could build around whoever they get. And I think they have four quarterbacks that they like, and I think that they were expecting that all four would be gone by six. And so, therefore, they're like, all right, if we can't trade up, we're not going to get the quarterback. Or we can't control game the quarterback, so we can't bank on it. So, here mm-hmm. we're being offered a value proposition to trade down to 12, where we're likely to be able to get an elite player at any of these other, you know, uh, places of need. And, therefore, they took it. 
But just in case, if you're sitting there at 12 and one of those four quarterbacks drops in, mm-hmm. like whether whether it's Trey Lance, I think they're all Wilson, Lawrence, or or Fields, like if if that happened, right, they would take them, right? I think, I think they're all going to be gone by before 12. I think they'll all be gone by nine. I believe guy. they're all gone by four. Well, I mean, I mean, even going five. I'm saying five could be gone by before the Eagles pick. Because we see all these reports about Fields dropping. So I think he's going to drop to Denver or the Panthers. I know they just got Darnold's, but still. Yeah, they could still Darnold. take him. <laughs> like, yeah, why, why could they not take him? <laughs> exactly. Like, so like, like, why I not? See, yeah, I see the reports of, like, the Falcons trying to trade out. But I was like, if someone trades up, I can see Dallas trading up for Pitts, which would be my nightmare. Mm. It would be another nightmare for me. But I'm sorry, what? I said, I can see Dallas trading up for Pitts to number four. I saw reports about that, how, like, Jerry Jones is in love with Pitts, and it just makes sense. That really? I, I, I think if either Dallas or the Giants got Pitts, that would almost force the hand of the Eagles to take, you know, Micah Parsons, J.O.K., or Horn. Like, you have to take somebody who could possibly cover them. Definitely not Parsons. They don't believe in, court, like, linebackers. Duh. Um, no, no, no. Well, they didn't believe in linebackers, but let's say the new coaching staff highly believes in linebackers and believes they're essential, especially when you're facing up against the Pitts, who is a matchup nightmare against most traditional quarterbacks, and you need a big linebacker who could run like the wind. A.K.A. Parsons. But that's just I an organizational philosophy the same way that Lori wants to be a team that's always passing out, a team that always wants to run. That's just a, a tenant that's been there since Reed. And same thing with the passing philosophy. So I think that's just something that holds true. And, you know, it's just a part of the Eagles organization necessarily isn't a reflection on the way Jim Schwartz, for example, ran his. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I think is going on. I think Jim Schwartz had a big stamp on what this linebacker. But Andy was, was like that, that too. Know, Andy never just... valued the linebacker position. Right. Yeah, but I but I think that could change. Like when when Schwartz came, like Andy valued secondary players. We drafted secondary players. We drafted two secondary players one draft year, right? And when Schwartz came over, suddenly we're not like you know focused on secondary players. Do mm, some top like, fifty pick that, on that, Sydney Jones? On they, Sydney, everyone assumed third was a rounder first round Brazil, pick. Took a fourth rounder on Maddox. Yeah. They uh they. They liked what's his name, Jeremy Chin. They liked him a lot last year. They obviously went with Hertz, but they did like him. He was the other guy they were considering taking at fifty-three. Yeah. So all uh, my point was is that I I think that I, I mean I'm hoping I'm hoping they they break away from this linebacker perspective. I'm I'm thinking that you know linebacker is a pretty important position in today's NFL, especially with like you know the new modern linebackers that are bigger. Who are those guys after, though? Who are you thinking of when you? When you say that, like, who are those guys, like, top of the league guys? Oh, oh, well, they're coming out right now. You have Parsons, you have James. I, I mean, in the NFL already, like, more so. Like, who are these? Who's the, the, um, the prototype? Like, Warner I mean, on the 49ers, right? I would say him. But, like, who else? I mean, Keekly. He's out of the league. But I would take yeah, Gary Slender in a second. I mean, yeah, Leonard like in this defense. Mm-hmm. They're the guys in Denver that now they're looking to replace. You could say Devin White, I guess. Isaiah. Deion Jones, maybe, a couple years ago. <laughs> I think it's more yeah. safeties now. I think that so many people have been playing the sub-package. 
They'd rather put the I third think safety. safety is the most important position on defense. Well, that's what Jimbo Swartz would like to say. That's what he. That's what he kind of like philosophically. I mean, he's at least he said that in pressers. Like he wants. That's why he liked uh, linebackers who were like used to be safeties. Like yeah, Harry. the idea of the linebacker being in the quarterback of the defense is an outdated thing. That the quarterback of the defense now is the do-it-all versatile safety. Malcolm Jenkins. Yep, Correct. Malcolm Jenkins. We should have never got rid of him. Like a Tevin Smith, sideline to sideline linebacker. Big no, apparently. Like in in this draft, that safety, you have like so many interesting people. You have some people that you're like running up to go get. You have like, what is it, Trevin Mooring? Mooring, yeah. Holland. You have Huluenga. I like Jamar Johnson yeah, uh, so much from like Indiana a lot as one of the potential picks they use on day two. What was that name? Jamar Johnson from Indiana. I've seen that in a bunch of mocks lately. I don't really know anything about him. I'm kind of like a little bit of do it all. You know what I mean? Like, There's cool, the versatility cool, there. They actually that. have a, you know, I think they have a strong record with uh, the defense has been strong in Indiana the last couple of years. I think they're coached well in their secondary specifically. I think he could translate and he's obviously played against top tier competition. You know, I'd say the Big Ten is the second best conference in college football. Do you think the secondary players out of Washington are cornerbacks or safeties? I think like Elijah Molden is like a you know starting slot cornerback. I don't mean that as a slight saying he's not an outside guy. A, start, a slot cornerback no, is a starter. He's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, slot corner is a starter. But I think I think he could start day one, uh, like week one as a slot cornerback here, just because you know who else is doing that? Avante, I guess. But who knows how the the new coaching staff even feels about him? He's a holdover. But Keith Taylor is a pure cornerback. Uh, all right, we're in the weeds here, <laughs> definitely. Uh, like hour thirty six minutes in, um, we're gonna have plenty more time to talk about all this, you know, before the draft in a little over two weeks away. Um, any final thoughts that anyone wants to leave us off with? Uh, whether that being a request to speak, Cliff, I saw you unmuted. Do you have anything? Yeah, Julian said something earlier that uh also chilled me to my soul about like Howie Roseman and uh, Lurie or whatever. And the only thing I could think about as being a a Knicks fan is a curse, actually. A curse my dad handed down to me. Was, we got some Knicks things out of you, dude. I know. It's like Dolan and freaking Isaiah Thomas. And I was reliving that nightmare again. I was like, they never got better. Mm. They never got better. And finally, we're starting to look good, and it's still a nightmare. Mm. I, just, I, need the, I need the Eagles to be good. I need them to be good. Um, I think they should uh, – one last thing is that for yeah. the draft, I really think they should go defense. Um. Unless, unless, like, unless Waddle is there or maybe like Smith, but I, at twelve, I think they should go Sertain or uh, I don't know about JC Horn, but I really think they should go defense there. I mean, the wide receiver class is always pretty deep, and you always mm-hmm. can find somebody late in the draft. I think we get fixated on the like the top receivers in the draft, but then you know some of the best rookie receivers are always found in like the third, fourth round. But like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like quarterback, cornerback two. I think is guys to go in round two. Yeah, I think cornerback two is the most important need on the team. I don't know what you guys think, but that could be for another. Yeah, it's uh, another. It's session. next week's. That's next week's. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I just, I just think that defense is much more crucial for the Eagles than uh, getting wide receiver one right now, especially when they can't get Chase. Yeah, my still. final thought is: as dysfunctional as this team may currently appear to be whereas that any family is. Families have moments when, despite their dysfunctionality, things come together. So this relationship that we're all discussing as dysfunctional was here during the Super Bowl. 
Hey, Ryan, like should that. I give you mute? For... Oh, sorry, sorry. That's no, all good. It's all good. So this relationship that we view as dysfunctional is the same dysfunctional relationship that was here during our Super Bowl year. But during that year, the team was listening to Meek Mills and the locker room. And they were getting amped and they were getting excited. And the team kind of coalesced around it. And I first knew that we were going to win that Super Bowl when they asked our GM what song the Eagles wanted to run out onto the field to. And they and he answered that we're doing Meek Mills. And they said, you can't do Meek Mills. We're going to have to bleep out everything. He's like, then bleep out what you need to bleep out. That's our song. So we need a new Meek mixtape before the season. 2017 Eagles. Man, had... that, that's, unbe- that's unbelievable. But like those moments when like the ownership and management was aligned with what was going on in the locker room, I think is significant that there's like, you know, there's, there's always that ray of hope that there's that connection there that they can see through it. And there, there could be like a good moment. So as, as, as bleak as things look right now, I'm, I'm choosing to be optimistic. 2017 Eagles had extreme big winter energy, not even questioned. Just, the biggest ever. Yeah, the, the, the biggest BWE. Uh, all right. This has been a good hour, 40-minute chat. Uh, New record. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling tired. It's, it's 9-12. I'm feeling tired. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for jumping on. This is, like, this is great. Probably could have even gone longer if it wasn't so late, and I was fading fast. Um, but – a hundred minutes to talk about the Eagles is pretty cool. Appreciate you all. Um, we'll obviously, you know, we're going to continue to do all these. If you don't already, give me a follow on here so I can give you a notification when I start these, this room. If you're listening back on the playback, I mean, congrats to you on listening again to over a hundred minutes of audio about the Eagles. Give us a you deranged sicko. You deranged sicko. We appreciate you. We love you. Really fun panel tonight. Had a lot of good conversation. Lots check out right Check out uh, lots of good input from everyone. Uh, check out RighteousFelon.com. Discount code BGN15 for 15% off. You already know BGN's official uh, snack sponsor, sponsor in general. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week at some point. Talk to you more. We'll have an e- even better conversation. And uh, we'll see you then. Thanks for a great show. Keep bleeding green. Thank you. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.